And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com video lock your front door, your sanity. When I was 16 years old, you know, I was a full blown out drug addict, you know, three near death experiences, getting kicked off my baseball team, almost completely ruining my life. I even thought about suicide for hurting the people that I love most. Matt Mayberry is a former NFL player with the Chicago Bears. He suffered a broken ankle in the preseason, career over, but then he became a successful motivational speaker and now spends those talks discussing how to make the most of your life for an athlete or anyone else. In the book, I kind of guide how to do that, what I call as a cultural purpose statement. It's internal definedness of our culture, of, of what is that foundation, that DNA, that core, that really unbreakable root. How do we build a culture? Most people use their people to build their business, but the best leaders that make the biggest difference, they use their business to build their people. So what stops people from being successful? There's really three things. What was your biggest failure? How did you navigate that thing? Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. They've been with me for over two years now. They're one of my favorite tools, and they are starting to roll out AI tools that will dramatically cut your working hours in half. Research shows employees that use AI are cutting time spent on manual tasks like pulling reports or summarizing data in half from 5 to 2.5 hours a day. That adds up to almost four weeks a year. HubSpot's AI-powered tools can help you work smarter, not harder, by streamlining how you do business from research and strategy to content creation and optimization. ChatSpot and Content Assistant are baked right into the HubSpot CRM so you can whip up reports, get copy inspiration, pull data summaries, and a ton more just with a simple chat command. So you want to tap into HubSpot. You want to get more free time back. Stop staring at your screen. Start enjoying your summer PTO. Learn more and get started today at HubSpot.com.
Yeah, great question. I love it. I would say the biggest defining moment in my life came when I was 16 years old. You know, you may not know this or not, but my very first book, uh, Winning Plays, which was published in 2016, kind of talked about my upbringing and, uh, you know, really started from 13 to 16. I was a full blown out drug addict, you know, three near death experiences. Uh, every drug you could possibly think of, I've done it besides heroin. If wasn't terrified of needles, I probably would have done that too. But um, I was projected to go straight to the major leagues and skip college. Uh, but getting kicked off my baseball team, almost completely ruining my life. My, the biggest defining moment in my life was basically, uh, you know, nearly experiencing death or ending up in prison during that dark period of my life, which really kind of changed the whole trajectory of my life and my entire future. So to answer that question, I would say, uh, you know, when I was 16, the full blown out drug addict, just completely throwing away my life and hurting the people that I love most was probably the biggest defining moment that really changed my life forever. And, and maybe walk through that a little bit for people that don't know your story. And we'll link, like, so I know your origin story is more focused in your first book. And then you're just releasing a book now that's more focused on leadership and culture for organizations. And I think that if yeah. people want to uh, really capture who you are, I think it is good to go a little bit into your backstory. Because it's not like the, I guess, the, the quote-unquote traditional story of somebody that's now teaching leaders and organizations how to basically redo their culture, revamp it get the best out of everyone. I mean, you had an interesting life. So I knew less about uh, the drugs and the dark point in your life. I knew obviously you were an incredible athlete, had an right. NFL career. Curious as to how that thread uh, sort of permeated your life because I, I see a common thread with, with young athletes. I mean, the world is given to them and they, and they don't necessarily know how to deal with it sometimes. And the money and the influence and like the putting this person on a pedestal is not always a good way to introduce somebody into the world of, of, of their professional career. So maybe just give some context as to what, what happened. Really quick Cole's notes as to how your life sort of got to that point that was such a dark spot. And then you did turn yeah. it around before you're even Absolutely. your version of yourself now. Absolutely. You know, I, I think, um, you know, it, it sounds very cliche, right? I think everybody hears about, you know, you are who you hang out with. Show me your five closest friends. I'll show you where your future is headed. But for me, I mean, I've actually lived that, right? So when I hear, you know, that statement, um, you know, I, I say absolutely, 100,000%. Because, you know, for me, I had all the talent in the world. I came from a great, you know, family, two wonderful parents who cared for me and my younger brother more than life itself uh, and really provided us with every resource that we need. But I ended up going down that dark path because kind of what you hinted towards you know, I was a young athlete. I had the future kind of, you know, I was ready to take over the future, uh, particularly in baseball. Even though I was good at football, I didn't love football. You know, baseball was my first love. And, you know, for me, I, I think that when I got kicked off of even that sport, that's what even, I, I even went further down that hole of, you know, just hanging out with the wrong crowd. Um, you know, and part of that, you know, in the inner city of Chicago and, and kind of where I grew up, I was hanging around with you know, gangbangers, people that were committing the worst of worst crimes. And part of that was they saw me as this athlete where they can get into, you know, different demographics and different, you know, areas that they weren't at before. And, you know, I fell for that, right? Because at the time, that was the cool thing to do. You know, everybody was, was, was you know, kind of highlighting me and, you know, you're the best thing in the world, Matt. And, you know, we just coming from all different directions in my ego, you know, I think Ryan Holiday wrote the book, Ego is the Enemy. Uh, it, it absolutely is. You know, the moment you start inflating that ego and, and kind of using that accolades from the sports arena and letting that kind of define you as a person, you know, you're destined for turmoil. You're destined for, you know, really heartbreak and heart ruin. Um, so that, that's really the path that I went down. And what started as a little bit, you know, of, of smoking marijuana and going down that path, underage drinking came out into a full blown out drug addiction. Um, you that's know, wild, literally full blown out that's drug a... addiction. 
that's you know, stealing wild. teammates' wallets. Um, you know, that's what prompted me to get kicked off the baseball team. My ho whole team was out for practice. I stayed behind because while one of my teammates was getting dressed, I saw all this cash that was sitting in that wall and thought about all the drugs that I could buy with this money. Um, and, you know, that's the path that I went down, you know, and it got so bad for me to where my high school was like, hey, you know, you're the you're a very talented athlete, but no more detentions or suspensions. We are going to expel you if you don't go to this drug treatment facility for a month. Uh, and I 100 percent got more opportunities than, than the next person. Very mm -hmm. uh, aware of that. Very thankful for that. But also um, it was because of my athletic ability. It wasn't because I was, you know, I think a lot of the, the you know, ad advisors and, and coaches saw this young kid who was just throwing away his life and, and it just you know, whether it was the right thing to do or wrong thing to do as to what they did, um, I'm very thankful for that. So yeah. many people didn't give up on me in that point in my life because I ended up did going to that drug treatment facility, not because I wanted to get sober, but because one of my family members offered me $500 if I was to go to that drug facility to work on myself. But, yeah. you know, what does a drug addict want to do with $500? Buy more drugs. 100%, yeah. So, I mean, like, how did, okay, so so then the, the question, because, and, and yes, you're 100% right, like, because you had athletic ability, you you were you were given an opportunity. I think that's you know that can sort of dovetail into what you're trying to do now. I mean, you do motivational yep. speaking for businesses, but that's not the only person that you impact either. I mean, you're you're trying to get everyone to have like a better life, and I think that your origin story is like a big part of that in a big Absolutely. way, right? Absolutely. Right? I mean, you know, the fabric of who I am and, and kind of what I do now, it's it's much different than what I did you know 12 years ago, right? When I just started out, kind of sharing my story and. You know, yeah. kind of really only speaking about what we're talking about now, um, you know, but absolutely. I mean, that is the core DNA of kind of what I learned about, you know, experiencing almost near death experiences, you know, almost throwing away my life and going to prison, you know, losing the sport that I was best at that was going to destined to give me a $10 million guaranteed check. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, for me, everything I am, you know, really comes from that point in my life and I'm very thankful for it. But um, I was able to turn it around because of the love of my parents. And just like I almost ruined my life with who I was hanging out with, that's also who helped my life, uh, you know, turn that around for the better, you know, of getting around the right people uh, to also help steer me in a direction that was going to really create a bigger future for me. So you come out of this really dark place and, and like, this is what will eventually, like, we're not going to go into every nuance, but this is eventually yep. what leads to a pro career in the NFL. And then you, I, I'm always curious. I love, I love business lessons derived from like athletes and coaches. Like there's so much shit that just crosses over that I think a lot of people miss. But um, when you're finishing your career in the, or how do you decide to finish a career in the NFL? When was it like you're calling it? And then this is the next version of your life. Cause that's a big jump too. And I think I've spoken to a lot of, man, the, the conversations with ex pro players uh, find even like, financial uh fi like financial advisors that talk about how people can't figure out a life after yeah. they play pro but you did so walk me through that transition yeah so you know for a little bit of context for all your listeners here is that you know after i was finally able to have that that moment of like you know i, I can't go down this path anymore i can't put any more tears on my mother's you know face anymore i, I can't you know i, I got to get and create this future football really became my outlet you know, so even though I enjoyed the game, it wasn't my first love like baseball. Um, but that really became my why. It became why I did what I did and why I didn't want to go down the path that I was going down. I, I had to create and instill a bigger future for Matt Mayberry. Uh, so football really became my, you know, backbone, if you will. Like I used that to escape not only the past, but also create that future for myself. And for me, 
Um, you know, I had a great career at Indiana. That's kind of where I learned everything that I talk about in the new book, which I'm sure we'll get to, uh, from my coach at the time, Terry Hepner. Culture is mm -hmm. the way. You know, everything about leadership and culture and changing behavior at scale and, you know, how do you take a struggling program in football and turn it around and what are the similarities in the business world? So I learned so many valuable lessons. And then I finally had an opportunity to play for the hometown team, right? The Chicago Bears, you know, former drug addict, turned around his life. Now he gets an opportunity. Um, you know, my career never really took off, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I got hurt in the preseason. Uh, you know, for me, it was so devastating. It was such a traumatic experience for me that, you know, when I did get injured, I even thought about suicide for a brief, you know, brief time there because even though yeah. such a physical and violent sport such as football, um, you know, you can't control getting injured or what happens throughout the course of a game. It's a very violent sport, right? So injuries happen all the time. But I viewed that as a failure because of everything, you know, a lot of the self-induced adversity I created throughout my life, I finally get to this stage. And I did have an opportunity. I was moving up the depth chart. You know, my future was looking very promising. Um, and I get hurt my first game playing the San Diego Chargers. You know, like I, I tore a bone off my ankle and that was the end of my career. I wasn't able to come back from that injury. Uh, and it was very devastating. But to answer your question specifically, how I was able to make that pivot, you know, obviously I didn't end my life. I, I didn't, you know, kind of buy into those negative thoughts that I was having and really detrimental thoughts that I was having. Uh, I got asked to speak at a leadership event by Stedman, with Stedman Graham, you know, who was Oprah Winfrey's boyfriend for, you know, gosh, still, I think they're still together. Um, but I met him at a charity event the month before I got injured and he asked me to speak when he found out that I was injured. Uh, and long story short, just sharing 20 minutes of kind of not only my backstory, but also, you know, what about the game of football applies to business, right? Leadership, teamwork, culture, you know, overcoming adversity, having a game plan. What does the strategic direction look like? Um, and that's what's really started my career of traveling the country, giving speeches um, in the very Did beginning. you ever think of like any other options at all with your life, your career? Like I know that was a that was a significant injury, but did you ever think about going back into football or, or is this like the, the, the persona that you have is if I'm if I'm going to do something, I'm going to go all into it. This is how I change the world. Like, I'm curious about your thought process at that point, because there was so much emotional energy tied up in football for you, because that was your recovery vehicle. Yeah, that was huge. And I get I, I, like, it's sad, but I understand why somebody would think about ending their life when all their life and all their progress was tied up in this thing that was like, taken away from them. So yeah, how did you, you know, psychologically get over that? You know, for me, so when I gave that first speech with with Stedman Graham, um, I still had in my mindset, you know, that like I was still going to get back to football at this point, like my, you know, I, I had the mindset that I was going to go back. Like, even though that, that first speech went well, it was not terrific. My career was not set out right. I wasn't ready to go out in the world and, and kind of start and create a business where I can go do this full time. Um, you know, so for me, in the back of my mind, I always knew that I was going to come back or thought I was going to come back. But after that speech, you know, word of mouth started getting around, you know, and a lot of these big companies, you know, Allstate Insurance and, you know, JP Morgan Chase, and, you know, they would say, hey, Matt, we're having our sales conference in Vegas next month or leadership conference. We'd love to, you know, have you come share a message, you know, on teamwork or leadership, overcoming adversity. Um, and during that whole time that I was injured, I still had in my mind that I was going to come back, but I was also giving speeches, you know, sometimes for free, you know, just I had nothing else to do. I was in a walking boot, had crud, like I, I still... Yeah. Like, I got I to gotta get my mind off of this. Um, long story short, even a year after that, of giving that, that from the first time I did that first speech, um, I wasn't able to come back. That's when I had that talk in conversation with my agent that I'm going to have to look for something else. You know, my football career is not looking, you know, my, my ankle's not getting better. It's not what the, 
didn't progress like they thought it would. Um, at this point, that's where I said, okay, I need to go all in on this. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do it, you know, but I'm going to figure out a way to get to a point where I can create a full-time business on kind of sharing this message, um, you know, of, of traveling the country and giving speeches. Um, and I would ask, okay, so we're going to, we're going to talk about lessons that apply to business, but I'm actually more curious about, I'm curious about how you applied some lessons that you learned while playing football to your own career. So even the first time you stepped on stage, like nerves, overcoming adversity, like what were your biggest failures in your career that you learned ways to overcome while playing football or playing any professional sport? It could have been when you're playing, you know, yeah, I mean, earlier great in baseball, questions. all that. Great question, Scott. You know, I think first and foremost, there's got to be context as to, you know, what I did to first start kind of jumpstart that, right? Because I didn't, um, you know, I, I wasn't a first round draft pick. I was an undrafted free agent, right? Like I didn't get the $2 million, $5 million guaranteed, right? So I didn't have yeah. all this, you know, the resources and financial, you know, kind of backing to say, hey, we're going to go kind of create this, right? So what I did was I first used my football kind of experience and skill set to, I, I got a sales job at a pharmaceutical company and in two short years, I was the top earning salesperson at that company. You know, outperforming and outselling people with 30 years of experience. Um, with me never doing sales in my entire life, but just being relentless, focusing on what helped me in football, the preparation process, um, you know, knowing doctors when their, you know, anniversaries were with their wife, you know, if their son overcame a, a health challenge, like just the preparation, the focus to detail, um, you know, outworking everybody. Uh, and then also applying that to the daily grind of, you know, focusing on the process. For me, it was never about hitting a quota or getting to a point. It was always about, you know, how can I really immerse myself in the process of just getting a little bit better every day? What so much of football is about. I mean, that's what the best football teams do. I mean, the goal is to win a Super Bowl. But, you know, the day-to-day -day is, you know, how can we elevate our performance and mindset and capabilities for this day? Um, you know, and I share that with you because that was the very first example of me proving to myself that what worked in football from a DNA perspective works in the business world, right? No sales experience, no idea what the hell I was doing, mm -hmm. applied everything I learned in football, you know, to that, that sales job. Um, and I took that sales job because even though I knew I wanted to share this message and, and speak and, and do all this, I needed that sales job to kind of put me in a place to kind of catapult to get to a point to eventually do that full time. And that's exactly what I did. And then, okay, so now you're, you know, you, you, you're making money, you're speaking, you start to, I'm assuming, build a little bit of an audience, personal brand, yeah. you start to charge a little bit more. Um, and I can see where that sort of progresses. And, and, and let's, let's move on past, like, I guess, the origin story for now. But I actually am, I'm always curious, and I always ask this, on your, on your personal business journey, um, what was your biggest failure or screw up or, you know, how did you navigate that thing? Oof. What was the one yeah, thing that you messed up major? That's a great question. You know, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I would say that, you, you know, I, it was a huge adversity early on and something I, I not, don't necessarily regret, right? Because I look at every adversity and kind of challenge Never as regret. an opportunity yeah. to learn and grow. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, it was really understanding, like, you know, as an athlete, right, you always have, you have teammates, you know, you have... You have people around your corner, you have coaches, you have advisors, you have trainers, you have therapists, you know, chiropractors. I mean, everything you do is functioned around having a team. And when I, you know, even in the sales job, right, like I, I think being so isolated and then when I did officially make that full jump to, you know, kind of start my own business, um, it was not getting the right people in my team, right? Even if it was my own trusted advisors, even if it was a group of four to five mentors, 
you know, I was always learning from people and kind of calling people and, and picking their brain, but I never formally started a process of having like my own internal trusted advisory board of, you know, gaining this wealth of knowledge from business owners and people that have been doing this for 35 years and kind of putting them strategically in my own life uh, that would really have jump-started the process. So I think for me, to some people, that may not seem like a, a huge failure, um, but it lost me a lot of money. It set me back a lot of years of growth and kind of accelerating my execution from where I wanted to go from where I was. Um, so for me, at that point in my time, that was a huge, I think, you know, mistake of, of not applying what I learned in the game of football and then in the business mm -hmm. world, of not strategically inserting the right people and mentors in my life to build my own team. No, very smart. And, and I mean, to each his own, like some people that that's makes like it's common sense for other people. Like you just save them <laughs> a lot of money and time and energy, bro. Right. Like it's not that common sense isn't common. Right. Ever. Right. right. So it's a good, it's a good point. Um, and it is, again, it's another, it's another sports analogy. I mean, I, I didn't play as much football as you. I played a lot of hockey, but it still, still stands. I get it. Absolutely. I totally get it. Um, all right. So let's talk about, let's talk about why, you know, why we're here today. We're talking about culture. I mean, the book you wrote is Culture is the Way. We're going to link all that stuff below so people can check it out. But let's talk about culture because culture is a buzzword and culture yep. is said again and again and again and again. And I think to the point where people start to lose context of what it actually means. So I'm curious, how do you define culture? Yeah, I mean, great question. I mean, you know, in a nutshell, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's really behavior at scale, right? Anytime you walk into a company, whether small, medium or large, it's, it's really the behaviors, the mindset, the collective understandings of what's expected of every single employee when they walk into that company and they carry out the, you know, execute the mission or purpose of that single company, you know, particularly when the CEO or COO or founder or business owner is not around. Right. I mean, it, it, the best way to think about it is really behavior at scale. You know, what does that organization, that company believe at its core and how are the people within that company and, and organization, how are they behaving on a daily basis repetitively over and over and over again to carry out for the good? Right. The, the execution of that purpose of that mission of that organization of that company. And that's why. OK, so now that makes sense. So by that definition, that is that is how you create success in an organization. Um, and, and how do you, okay, so how do you learn things from football? What are the, what are the similarities between football, between professional sports that are like the high level themes that are similar to business culture? So, I mean, like there's the obvious ones like teamwork and, and stuff like that, but there's more to it than just, I'm on a team, we're trying to achieve a goal. Yes. I mean, so many, so many to the point where, you know, I think there, there was a natural pivot, I think, you know, because when I shared with you about my backstory and even when I started speaking, you know, kind of yeah. even when I, after I had the sales job, right, I was what you would call your traditional, I guess you could say inspirational, you know, keynote speaker. I was sharing more of my story and overcoming adversity. But what happened throughout that whole journey, really from about three years, is I started getting in front of more and more executive and business audiences. And, you know, from there, it wasn't just inspiration. Then it came down to, hey, Matt, we want you to take what you learned in the game of football. We want you to talk about that, like how to build a team culture and leadership. And, and the number one question that always came back is why I wrote this book is, you know, how do you build culture, right? Because what I saw, right, when I would go into a lot of these Fortune 100, even 500 organizations, the biggest companies in the world, there was a huge misconception of what culture was. I mean, they mm -hmm. thought it was getting sleep pods on every floor at the headquarters, right? They thought it was having a manager or, or leader that doesn't challenge you in a healthy and productive way. You know, they thought it was wearing shorts to work and getting off at 3.45 p.m. On a, on a Friday. Those are perks. 
You know, and I think when you ask what are the similarities of culture from football to business, I mean, first and foremost, you have to understand that some of the best culture builders in the entire world are football coaches. You know, and I talk about that in the book, right? Mel Tucker at Michigan State, PJ Fleck, uh, Minnesota, Bill Belichick, New England Patriots. Um, you know, there's, there, you know, there's so many coaches that just do such an extraordinary job because even though it's so important and so such a difficult task of being a leader, especially at a big or even medium company or even small company, the scrutiny of your job and performance is not highlighted for the world to see every single week and mm -hmm. every single day like that of an NFL or college football coach. So you have to get people moving in the same direction, rowing the boat in a you know, collective manner with a shared understanding pretty quick. And the only way to really do that is to not set a goal of winning a national championship or a Super Bowl. That is every team's goal. You know, so it, it's, it's defining what is success internally for us as a team, as an organization. So, you know, the biggest thing that I, I took away from the very beginning there of, of what do football, what does football teach about culture? Um, it, it's A, to look at all the lessons that great football coaches possess and kind of carry over. But then also it's defining defining what that culture is for that team, that business, that organization. So, okay, so now you've defined the culture, which makes a ton of sense, but what is the, the secret sauce that a college or NFL football coach has that allows them to be so effective at this? Because I, I bet you that if you looked at most NFL teams, not all, but most NFL teams or even college teams, you'd find that uh, the culture is stronger than a similar sample size of just 20 businesses right? Or right. 30 businesses or 40. So why is that? Why does somebody that comes up in professional sports have a mastery on culture when technically it's not even part of their resume, when a CEO makes a business work, but the culture shit and yeah, they're may maybe hitting their revenue targets, but ultimately like everybody hates working there and the turnover is high and like everyone's burning out and everyone just hates everyone else who's working with them. And that's, right. you know, it's not optimal, but that happens a lot too. So what makes football coaches so great at this? I think, you know, not only their title, right? Like I think the, the word quote unquote coach, but I think that that can also be misconceived a little bit. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because there's a lot of coaches that aren't actually good coaches, right? So I think just having the title isn't enough. That's just like having a leadership title doesn't necessarily make you a leader. Like leadership is yeah. influence and impact. But I think at the, at the end of the day, you know, the, the secret sauce is really understanding the people aspect of, of driving greatness, of, of driving influence and driving impact to a whole other level, right? Because when you get to the NFL or even in, in, in a lot of businesses, right, everyone there is talented, right? Everyone there has a skill set, especially if people have been doing the job for 20, 30 years. So, you know, talent and competency can be coached and teached, right? But at the end of the day, it's understanding the people aspect that you really have to engage the hearts and minds of individuals, of, of human beings first and foremost, if you really want to create that culture of greatness and drive out, you know, the execution in the marketplace, in the business world or on the field, in the athletic world. So I think great sports coaches understand that, you know, it's not motivating strictly from a profit or dollar perspective or wins and losses. It's really driving the purpose of the individual, but also the greater good that I am connected to doing something that's much bigger than just myself. You know, football coaches do such an exceptional job at that. And if you look at the business climate, Scott, I mean, for so long, right? I mean, never, ever were we talking about your personal life in the workplace. Never, yeah. ever were we talk, talking about, does this make you uncomfortable, right? Never, ever were we talking or asking employees to speak up about, you know, what pissed them off or what, you know, what they didn't feel was, you know, adding fuel to their life. 
Um, so I think the COVID-19 pandemic kind of made that shift a little bit or accelerated that shift where it's kind of redefining the workplace in America. Um, yeah. You know, I think it, it, it's more involved with that. But that is what football coaches understand. They understand the people aspect and they do a great job of balancing the two. Like, how can we drive greatness on the field? But then also, how can I love you up, coach you up and care for you as an individual, as a human being? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this now and I'm I'm thinking about a CEO that's like hitting his hitting his or her revenue milestones and their culture is shit. But they can still hit their revenue milestones because they're they're aggressive at sell like at selling and whatnot and and okay fine, but then you look at a football coach and I mean, if if you don't have a good culture in your team, you're not winning the game. You can't nope. you can't run uh you know you can run an unprofitable business and you can go raise money and you can scale it and you can argue that there's different ways to scale a business. I'm like, you you play a game on the field, you win or you lose, and it's it's there is no there is no other option. There's no way to mask a, a loss. There's no way to hide it in the spreadsheets and make it like, oh, don't worry, we can, that'll that'll benefit us next quarter or whatnot. Exactly. Or we have some more customers. It's it's a win or lose. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. 
Now, I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. It's it's all right. There. And I think that actually the, fo- the, la- the focus on the people, knowing that you can't mask the results the people are what are going to give you the results versus I can maybe mask the results or maybe I can 
appease shareholders, but ultimately I can, people are almost like commodities in my business. It's like a totally different perspective, a, a shitty like business leader versus a shitty football coach. You're right. The, the scrutiny, you're going to see that shitty football coach right away. You're not going to see the shitty business leader right away. Right. They, they have okay. more opportunities to, you know, like you said, like mask the, uh, you know, the complexities yeah. or the challenges, right? I mean, you know, you can, you can pad a P&L sheet, right? You can, you can 100%. maneuver around some of the complexities and kind of pad that, right? But, you know, Sports Center is going to play that losing coach. You know, Sports yep. Center is going to play, <laughs> you know, that, that brawl in the locker room, right? They're, you know, and, and, and the whole media is going to talk about it. And a lot of football coaches, they find out they're fired before, you know, they find out via Twitter, right? Yep. You know, like... It is a cutthroat world. So it's not comparing both jobs because being a leader in the workplace in, in corporate America is an extremely difficult and demanding job. No way, shape, or form is it saying which one is harder. It's just that the 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 you know really demand of of driving you know a healthy organization and team is much greater from the very beginning or and start as a football coach compared to a business leader. And I think that's yeah. why they're some of the best culture builders. As you all know, Success Story is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Network has incredible podcasts like the Gold Digger Podcast. If you are looking for a new podcast, you have to check it out. It's hosted by Jenna Kutcher. The Gold Digger Podcast helps you discover your dream career with productivity tips, social strategies, business hacks, inspirational stories, and so much more. I tune into them every single week. They just did an episode on a four-day work week experiment that they actually conducted in their own office. A few other recent episodes I enjoyed were on how to hire A players in your organization in 14 days or less. Jenna Kutcher is an OG in the podcasting game. You got to go check out the Gold Digger podcast at the HubSpot Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcast. I believe that 100%. Okay, um, so how do we build a culture so that people are elevated to the best versions of themselves and then they perform? What are, what yeah, are the I, steps or the playbook? Yeah, so I have a five-part framework, you know, and I'll, I'll touch on those, but I think a very high-level answer, you know, because this doesn't matter if you have a small, medium, or large-sized business for, you know, whoever's listening. You know, most people use their people to build their business, right? But the best leaders that make the biggest difference, not only in the marketplace and drive the greatest profit, but also build people, they use their business to build their people. And I think that understanding the differences between those two is really the answer of how do you build a great culture that actually produces for, for what, we're, what we're doing in our particular sector, our particular industry, the product we sell, the service that we, we go to market with. You know, it's really understanding that we need to utilize the people that we have and, and build our business, right? Use our business to build our people, which is going to build and transform our business rather than simply using your people as a commodity to build the business. You know, there's a very, very big difference in distinction between the two. Um, you know, and I think after understanding that, it's really driving down to that five-step five framework, which number one is, you know, we kind of touched on this already, but it's defining your culture. You know, and what I mean by that is if you saw 20 employees that work at the same company, let's say at a conference, and you ask those 20 employees, what is your culture at XYZ company? You're most likely going to get 20 different answers, right? If you go and ask the New England Patriots, or, you know, whoever your favorite team or organization is, right? Chances are you're going to get pretty similar answers. Maybe not exactly to, the, to a T, but you're going to get pretty similar answers about expectations. What is the work experience like as an employee there? 
and what is the overall mission and purpose of that particular company, that organization, right? So you have to define your culture, right? The, the second aspect is, uh, you know, what I put is discovering through collaboration and inspiration. Um, and, and what I mean by this is it's really engaging the hearts and minds of every single people manager in the company. When you think of building culture, most senior leaders and executive teams, regardless of how big that organization is, they keep it at the top, right? And, and defining your culture starts at the top, but then after you get to that piece, then you have to go to the bottom and different levels of the organization and ask them for their input. What is it like working here? What are you happy with? What are you not happy with? You know, what can we do? What, what makes this company, this organization unique and special? And then it's cascading, you know, from that, it's getting all that intel, that information. And then from there, you know, step number three is all about launching, cascading, and embedding your culture, right? A lot of companies will just say, hey, this is our employee survey that we did. We're going to take this mm -hmm. survey, get these results. We're going to talk about it for a month. We worked on culture. They checked the box, right? But the best teams, and this is what football teams do best and better than anybody, is the culture is not just launched and talked about. It's cascaded throughout the whole team, the whole organization, regardless of your role. And it is embedded daily in every function, offense, defense, quality control, video, video team, you know, recruiting team, staff. I mean, every function of that team, that organization, it's embedded deeply. And then the fourth step of that, the whole five-step process is driving long-term impact. You know, what you talked about, how some business leaders, they may hit the P&L, they may have a positive year, they may get the, you know, investor money that they're looking for. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, if you're not building a business for sustainability and, and really having a culture that drives that sustainability somewhere along the line, it's going to collapse and fail. And, and not only is it going to collapse and fail, it's probably going to be worse off than it was from the very start. Right. So it, then it's utilizing your culture to drive that sustainability. So it's all about the best practices of how do we not only embed our culture, but how do we make it the very fabric of our company? And then the fifth one is, you know, leaders blaze the trail. Uh, and this is simply that, you know, you can't change any organization until the leaders first model the behavior and lead the way forward, right? The, the, the behavior of the leader is eventually the behavior of the rest of the company and organization. There, there's no way around it, you know? And I think you have, you have a lot of leaders in organizations that are unhappy with maybe the results they're producing or, you know, they want to be more innovative or they want to be able to handle and deal, deal with disruption and change better. But then when you, when you dig a little bit deeper, you start to realize that the leadership team is the one who actually massively and severely struggles with those same very things that they want to get better and improve on. Mm -hmm. Right. So you as a leadership team and as a leader, you first have to be living that 100 percent all in fully committed before you ever can drive transformation and change throughout your organization. So those are the five steps, Scott. Define your culture. You know, engage the hearts and minds of every people manager in the company to get them involved in the process. Mm -hmm. That gets them more excited about creating the future. Uh, the third step is launch, cascade, and embed the daily fabric of your culture in the organization. The fourth aspect is uh, driving long-term impact for sustainability. And the fifth is leaders lead the way forward. What's, what's the number? Because I think that when everyone's listening to this podcast, everyone is not, I mean, there's some shitty people out there that don't care about this, but the, the majority of people want to do good by their team and by their company. And they're saying, yes, I, I love a culture like this. I love a culture that uplifts the people that I work with every single day. What's stopping people? What some people are going to take this away and say they don't, you know, check out your book or whatever. And they they've tried this before and it just has totally failed. And they know that even though they've tried to implement culture, 
you still talk to 20 different people in the org and you still get 20 different answers as to what the culture is. So what stops people from being successful when they try and do something like this with the organization? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's really three things that, you know, the, the, the first thing is, um, you know, the, the leadership team is not committed, right? It's, it's a check the box initiative. Maybe they had a bad survey result. So now HR or, you know, shareholders, you know, there's outside pressure. If it's a publicly traded company, they have to do some type of initiative to build a healthier culture. So from that standpoint, it's just a check the box. It's never going to move the needle, right? That's the first one. The, the second one is we, we kind of already touched on this, but I, I want to stress the importance of this enough of why it just derails so many efforts, the misconception of what culture is, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a 10-person company or a 200,000-person company. You have to understand every business owner, every leader has a strategy, a strategic framework of how we're going to go to market, how we're going to win in the marketplace, how are we going to create our unique competitive advantage in the marketplace, you have to understand that strategy does not achieve itself on its own. Mm -hmm. That is the job of culture. It's behavior at scale. So after you create your strategy, you have to look at your culture and do we have the right behaviors in place? Rather than just having core values, we need to make sure that we have specific defined behaviors. Like what are the daily expectations to live these values that is going to help us succeed and win and execute in the marketplace? Um, you know, and I, I think for any leader that doesn't want to build a better culture, they're basically saying that I don't want to win and build a thriving business, you know, because I mean, that in the, the two go hand in hand, like eventually somewhere down the line, it's going to come back and backfire, backfire massively. Can you, uh, no, you go, know, ahead, go ahead. And, Sorry, go ahead. You know, and then, and then the third one would just be, you know, the consistency. You know, I think that there's a lot of leaders, especially you've seen with COVID and, and a lot of the statistics and. Um, you know, we heard about the great resignation and the big quit and all those kind of terms, you know, as far as just so many people leaving the workplace. Um, you know, I think that when you have that type of dysfunction and people talking about the realities of the uncertainty of the future, leaders will start to initiate the process. But then somewhere down the line, they get busy. You know, there's customer fluctuations. There's, you know, dealing with supplier challenges. Uh, you know, the supply chain, just all these different complexities of the business structure, mm -hmm. they let interfere with building the culture. But the best leaders that I've seen in some of the most prestigious dominant companies in the world, um, they literally view their culture as their greatest competitive advantage in the world. You know, not their ability to innovate, not their ability to market and, and have new product design. I mean, their greatest competitive advantage is the culture they build. Um, so I, I think that those three things, Scott, is, is really, you know, why most leaders kind of fall short there. And to your last point, it's it's about it's about prioritization. Like if if you want to make this a priority, it'll get done. That's that's right. really where it has to. That's really where it has to come from. Can you, um, off the top of your head, uh, just speak to, like the best culture that you've seen and why? Pick a company or some sort of case study and why is that culture so great? What does one look to when they're looking at a company and like shit, they're doing it right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of examples that I can use. You know, I think, you know, using the book and, and keeping that kind of in mind here, just because yeah. it's fresh on, on my mind, um, you know, there are different personal case studies that I utilize in the book. You know, and one of those is, you know, I think Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits, um, you know, a company that I've, I've personally worked with for quite a few years now, particularly, you know, their, their Illinois and Indiana division. Those two, um, you know, organizations uh, are you know, even though they're, they're a part of the same entity of a 19,000 person organization, um, you know, at the state level, 
the work that they've done, particularly Illinois, who I kind of take throughout the book, like from when they started the process of building a better culture to where they are now, um, you know, it's been unbelievable. You know, as far as knocking down silos, um, they were never in a terrible or unhealthy position in the very beginning, mm-hmm. but their culture was never the, the, the sole reason why they were going to market and why they were dominating. Their culture was never why they're, you know, retaining, but also attracting top talent. Um, and now, you know, so many of the internal employees and, and, and team members of, of Southern Glaciers, you know, particularly Illinois, you know, the, the, the domino effect that was created from that internal transformation of building a better culture has just been phenomenal. Um, you know, about defining that culture, but then also kind of embedding it throughout every function. You know, so, so that's an example that I've always used, and I kind of highlight that in depth in the book. Okay. Uh, there's another, you know, company, uh, Direct Federal Credit Union. Um, you know, they're, they're another company that I've, uh, you know, kind of briefly highlight in the book. Joe Walsh is their CEO. Um, you know, I spoke at an event for, for them uh, at the end of 2021 and, and kind of grew, grown a relationship with him and see the work that he's been able to do as far as, you know, it's important to me. Right. This is not a check the box initiative. This is not just to, uh, you know, kind of beef up our employee engagement surveys. Like we want to create an environment where we win in the market, but we also create something special internally, um, you know, that that really stands the test of time. You know, that that's a great example. Uh, I think Disney's another great you know, example. Uh, obviously, they've been in the news for kind of not the so right reasons. Um, <laughs> that's true. But, but ultimately, you know, that, that's every yeah. great. That's every, every big company, especially over 100,000 employees, you know, you're always going to have, um, you know, those fluctuate. And that was also a challenge of this book, Scott, to be honest with you, of, uh, you know, I was very kind of hesitant and cautious of using what I deem as world-class cultures, because what may be a cult- great culture right now, if there's a change in leadership or one of the senior leaders retires yeah. or, you know, if there's some type of turnover, you know, that, that can be completely a different story next year. But to your point, though, that's a that's a that's a a good commentary on why culture is not a time bound initiative where there's like a it's deadline not. on it. It's not right. You know, in the book, I, I clearly say there's a start date and that's it. You know, most most change initiatives, there's a start and end date. Like, hey, for the next six yeah. months, we're going to be doing this, and you know, but really building culture. I mean, it, there's a start date, and then that's it. You know, it's ongoing from there. It's continual. It's relentless. It's got to be rigorous. Um, you know, in the book, I use the term being fanatical, like you, you literally have to be fanatical. Um, and, and to a lot of people that may seem aggressive, but that's literally what the best leaders do that they, they're fanatical about their approach and how they think of culture. What would be the, I, there, there was the five steps that you listed out, but I think the one thing that stands out to me is the ability to get this culture that is maybe initiated at the top and maybe also built from the bottom up, wherever it comes from to permeate every single piece of the company. That's the, that's the, the thing that I have to solve for. So what would be the advice that you'd give to an entrepreneur, CEO, founder, just one main takeaway for if you want to get this to really stick with every single person so that when you ask the 20 people what the culture is, you get one answer, what would be that thing? Yeah, you have to very clearly, you know, what we talked about, and I, I've really talked about so much in this conversation here is, you know, after you define that culture, like getting yeah. very clear on what that is, like, there's no, like getting very clear on it's what the definition, defined. it's like, it's truly the definition that makes it okay. Exactly. Like, and, and in the book, I kind of guide, you know, the reader through a process of like how to do that, what I like, okay. what I call as a cultural purpose statement, it's not the mission statement, it's not the purpose statement of the organization. It's not the experience we want to create for the customer, it's the internal 
definedness of our culture, of, of what is that foundation, that DNA, that core, um, that really unbreakable root. You know, after you do that, you know, it's really getting very clear on then transferring over to the clear expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this may sound kind of overboard to a lot of people are like, my, well, it's not micromanaging. This is what the best, you know, football coaches even do. Um, you know, what are the non-negotiable standards? You know, what are your standards? I, I think I'm just appalled at how many founders, leaders, managers, you know, f- owners don't think when they bring team members on, they don't have a clear definition of five to six standards. You know, yeah. the standard is the standard, right? And I'm not talking about just core values. Like, what is the standard for every single person that enters in your company that is employed by your company? What is the standard? Like, it, it's a non-negotiable. You know, I think getting very clear on that, um, and then your to my third point would be kind of what you hit on. You know, after you define that and do that as a business owner, founder, or leader, you know, define your culture and getting very clear on the standards and expectations, you then have to be on the front lines. You know, I yeah. mean, it's literally... I think Tom Peters used that book in in search of uh, in search of excellence, you know, classic business book, you know, talking about management by wandering around. You know, I think there's still too many leaders and founders that stay in their cubicle. They stay, you know, isolated in their office. They don't spend enough time interacting with people and picking up the phone and asking Elizabeth how she's doing. Um, You know, what can I do to help you to serve you to, to kind of help create that? You know, I think I think engaging the heart and mind aspect is all about getting out there, living that on the front lines with your people, walking side by side with them. Um, the last thing that I, I really was curious about your opinion on, um, because I know in, in sports in particular, there's there's a high performance culture. Now, high performance culture has its place, but it can be taken to the extreme in business too, where I, people that are listening to this, are I don't want them to misconstrue building these behaviors at scale meaning that you're trying to milk the life out of everybody who works for your organization so that their soul dies and you're getting maximum output because there is a a toxicity with ultra high performing culture. So when I want you to help somebody understand what is that balance between performance and, and the, the men, the mental health and well-being of that team, how do you straddle that line when you're building like a, a holistic culture? Yeah, great question. I think number one, you always have to keep the balancing act in, you know, top of mind, you know, and what I mean by the balancing act is, you know, there's two focuses, right? We have to drive the performance of the entire organization, the entire company, right? We have to win in market. We have to execute and accelerate at a very much quicker, faster pace. But on the flip side of that, we also have to build a healthier organization. So our performance and results cannot come at the expense of the mental health or well-being of our employees. Right. And, and that is done by simply a lot of the stuff that we talked about here. I think, you know, I, I, I can clearly make the argument that it's also unhealthy to have a company where there is no expectations. There is no one on one meetings. Your employees have no idea what's expected of them and they don't even know how they're doing currently on the job because that leader, that founder, they never tell them they're doing a good job. They never coach them. They never spend time with them individually. You know, and I think we started this conversation by you asking me, what do football coaches do better than, than a lot of business leaders. And I mean, it is their ability without a doubt to build that high performance culture that we talked about, driving those expectations, defining the culture, but then reverse engineering that to actually loving and coaching and serving the people that are within that, that organization, that team, uh, you know, that business. You know, it's, it's literally taking, defining that, setting the standard, 
but then not just micromanaging. There's no command and control, right? It is all walking side by side and asking people and then coaching them and training them, making sure ensuring they have the competencies and skill sets to do their job in an effective manner. And then you also build that, you know, that, that vulnerability, that place of empathy uh, and build that open space where people feel comfortable enough to kind of speak up about the challenges that are really disrupting their work put, workplace. Yeah. You know, as as a as a as somebody who's played with so many coaches, I'm curious when you think back now to the coaches that you've 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 been a, an athlete under. Um, what was the personality like of of your best coach in your life? You know, so I've had a lot of great coaches. Um, you know, we we don't have the time here to talk about every single one, and <laughs> fair. you know, because I easily I don't want, and I also don't like you know very cautious of you know, I, I never yeah, you want to you don't, you don't have to name names I'm just curious about the personality that's more than that no absolutely but you know I, I mean so Terry Hetmer without a doubt is probably the coach that made the biggest uh, you know profound difference in my life my coach in college yeah. you know his personality was kind of what I hinted towards yeah. um, you know he was very high energy he was a very passionate man you know he was very very serious and committed to winning um, but at the same time he he also cared about you as an individual he never cared you know, or thought of you as, you know, Matt is, you know, great at football, you know, he's going to make the university and me millions of dollars, you know, that's it, we're just going to win at X's and O's, you know, he one of the very first meetings he had with me, was he sat me down and said, Matt, you're going to get an opportunity to play at the next level, you're going to have a great career at Indiana, but one day you are going to be more successful outside of the game of football, than you ever were playing the game of football. And right then and there, I knew that I that was a that was the first experience I had with a coach that cared about me as a person at the individual soul human being level, rather than just me being Matt, the football player. So I think, you know, their personality is, there's still a strong commitment to excellence, to win, to win at all costs. But then the flip side, it's not forgetting the bigger picture that we're also building and developing people for the game of life. And I think that when you have that balancing act of performance and health, you know, you start to learn how to navigate through the daily complexities um, you know, as time goes on. But Terry Hetner was probably one of the very best leaders at doing that um, at a consistent level. Amazing. I love it. I love the description of, of how he led and, and just like, a, like a, an avatar for how people should lead with empathy and human first and all of those, again, more buzzwords, but they, they truly do have meaning when you see it, um, when you see a person you live who it. lives it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's only a buzzword when you just say it and you don't back it up with your behavior. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, let's, anything that you wanted to leave the, I will get the socials and the links to the book and that in a second, but last lessons or insights that you wanted to leave leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, founders, uh, anything on culture, on performance, on just things that, you know, have been top of mind for you that you think would be a good lesson to teach over. Yeah, I mean, just that, you know, I, I think I really can't stress it enough, you know, that that culture truly is the way, you know, I think that there there's probably a lot of listeners, you know, that you may have some small business owners that they're, yeah. they're solo, right, they're, they're solely by themselves. And you may have some where it's, it's a five, 10 team members, and you may have some bigger companies, um, even though at this particular book is, is probably written for more of the medium to large size organizations. I, I think regardless of the size of your company, because most of your listeners, I, I did my research and know that you have a committed and, and loyal fan base and audience that wants to continue to grow their business and go to the next level, you know, and, and most people are looking to scale. And once you yeah. do scale and have more of that help and those team members, 
Um, it, it's not so much about you know getting your team to go do what they need to do. It's about how do you build that foundational core. And I think that you know my the, my closing plea would be. Um, you know, to to learn on culture, to talk to other leaders about culture who you see as and deem as great culture builders, um, and then find out what those best practices are of how you can integrate that into your business because it truly does make the difference. You know, of of not only getting the funding that you need to go to the next level, but also attracting top talent. You know, I think everybody's aware about how hard it is to get great talent. You know, in their company or yeah. in, their, in their organization, and you know, I think it was Glassdoor. I mean, there's study after study where. I mean, it's not pay anymore. I mean, pay is very important, you know, and compensation. That's what every employee is looking for. But at the end of the day, they want to go to an organization and company that makes them feel that they're a part of something bigger, you know, not just profit and loss statements and collecting a paycheck. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it, this is like super topical, super important, and everybody's struggling to figure it out. So it's a good topic to, to dive into in a big way. Um, if people are going to go get your book, what exactly are they going to get from that book so they understand what, you know, before they buy it, what are you trying to teach over? What skill sets are they going to pick up? Yeah, I think they're going to get, you know, kind of a lot of what we touched on here today, except at a much more in-depth, um, you know, practical level. I think what I tried to do, the really goal of this book, Scott, was, yeah. um, you know, is to take a very complex subject such as workplace culture, distill it down to a very applicationable and, and, and implementable practical way of regardless of the size of your company, regardless of your past experience, let's let's define culture together. Let's get very clear that it's not perks and, and what those misconceptions are. And then here's a framework, here's a process of what's worked for some of the most dominant companies in the world. Um, and let's go tailor this to your company, to your organization. Um, you know, I think that, that the book does that in a very concise and practical way. Um, you know, and I think that for me, it was a major, major goal to not just take a high level subject and then just talk and here's all the research and data. And there's a lot of that in there, but then it's also about the action. It's all about what can you do? Cause it's not about reading another book. It's about what are you going to take from that book and then put into action? Um, and I think yeah. that that's, that's what this book, that was really the sole basis and really the focus of this book. Amazing. Um, if people want to reach out to you, where should they go? All the socials, website, all that. Yeah, website is mattmayberryonline.com and, you know, Matt underscore Mayberry is my, my social handle on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, you know, I'm pretty active on most social channels, need to get a little bit, bit better at that, but, um, you know, mattmayberryonline.com and then Matt underscore Mayberry would probably be the best route. Awesome, dude. Okay, last question I ask everyone before we close this out, you've had an yep. incredible career, different seasons to your career between baseball to, to football to now author, motivational speaker. After all of this, what does success mean to you? Oof. Success to me means that you're doing what you love with people that you love and making an extraordinary difference with whatever you deem that difference to be. Um, you know, for me, that's kind of how I define success in my own life that, you know, as much as we, we all like to, you know, maximize and increase our income and, you know, increase our success and, and year after year grow our percentages by XYZ amount of percent. You know, for me, it's truly about driving that impact, making an extraordinary difference. But most importantly, it's living life on my terms. It, it's building a life that I'm proud of, uh, that with people that I love and getting to do that every single waking moment, every single day. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. 
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink 
what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 